Go with me to John chapter 20. We're continuing our series on heaven. And I'm not going to do any review today. And if you miss any of the series, we put all of our messages on YouTube as well as on our Faithless app. And also the links to my notes from the previous messages are on our Faithless app. But we're going to go in a tad bit different direction, still building what we've already taught in this series. Do you guys mind if I go just a little bit deep on you? You guys okay if I go deep on you today? Say, I can handle it. Go ahead, put it in the chat. Say, I can handle it. So let's go to John chapter 20, verse 10. John chapter 20, verse 10. Now we know this is Resurrection Sunday. And it says, Then the disciples went away again to, unto their own home, but Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. And see if two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus was laying. And they said unto her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. And when she said that, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and didn't know it was Jesus. And Jesus said unto her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him that I will take him away. And Jesus said unto her, Mary. Can you imagine how much love was infused with just him saying her name? She turned herself and said, Rabboni, which is master. Now, what do you think she did? The same thing you would do. Run to Jesus and hold on for dear life. Because Jesus' reply is, touch me not. Now, that doesn't mean don't touch me. That word touch means to fasten. It means to cling. So when Mary saw Jesus, she went and grabbed him and held on. It reminds me of a game my two youngest like to play. They like to call it boots, where they pretend that they're my boots, where one grabs one leg, the other one's on the other, and they want to see how far I can walk with them clinging on to my legs. This is what Mary is doing. She is clinging onto Jesus, like, Jesus, you left me for three days. It ain't going to happen again. Come on, some of y'all would have done the same thing. You've been gone three days, three days too long, Jesus. No, nope, you ain't leaving my sight. You could disappear again. I'm going to disappear with you. But notice what Jesus said to her. Touch not or Mary, let me go, please. Come on. You got to let me go. Come on. Detach. Let go. Let go. Why? For I am not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my, I ascend unto my father and your father and to my God and your God. Well, if he hasn't ascended, where has he been? Well, we know what the Bible teaches us, that he descended. He took our sin and our iniquity and our sickness to the pit of hell. And then he threw off every principality and power, operating great victory over Satan and all his demonic forces. And he led captivity captive, the scripture tells us. So now he's raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Ghost, resurrected with all the glory of God. And he's standing there and said, I haven't ascended to heaven yet. So where is he going? It's not your question. Where is he going? Heaven, right? Well, what is he about to do? Because he's not just taking a field trip like, well, I want to go to heaven real quick and come right back. You know, I haven't been to heaven in like 33 years, and I kind of miss it. I want to go see everything and come right back. That's not what he's doing. He's on mission. So the question is, what did Jesus do after this? Because it's important to your daily life now. 
Not, oh, it's good to know what happened 2,000 years ago. It's important to your life right now. Say, it's important to my life right now. Go ahead and put it in the chat. Let's say it again. Say, it's important to my life right now. Go to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. We're going to start at verse 1. What was Jesus up to? Why did he say, Mary, you got to let go? I, I'm going. I'll be back in a second, but I got to go up there. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heavens, a minister of the sanctuary or of the holy place, as it's translated, and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Say gifts and sacrifices. Then it says, therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and the shadow of the heavenly things, the heavenly things. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, of course, talking about Jesus, and as much as he is also a mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers and the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none of his brothers, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. Verse 12. For I will be merciful. Say merciful. To their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember. What? No more. And that, he says, a new covenant. He made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Let's go to chapter 9 and skip to verse 19. So we see so many things in the book of Hebrews. But one of the things it tells us Jesus is our high priest. And when he, remember he's writing to Hebrew believers who understand what it means to have a high priest. Most of us in our American understanding have no idea what that meant. They said, well, he's a priest that's higher than the other priest. But the high priest had a specific function in the life of the Jews, in the times that they were in. And so when the writer of Hebrews gets back on this topic in verse 19, he says, For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of ministry. So when the tabernacle was created, remember, he created the way as God showed him on the mount. And as we covered in the previous series, Moses was shown things in heaven, and he built on earth what he saw in heaven. 
So the tabernacle was a mirror of the things in heaven. And so after everything was built, everything was created according to what God showed him on the mount while he was looking into heaven, what did Moses do when everything was finished? He sprinkled the book of the law with blood, and then he sprinkled all of the utensils or the vessels of ministry with blood. Purifying them. Well, why do you have to purify them? So they can be used, right? Verse 22, and according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding the blood, there is no remission. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Whoa. The vessels or the utensils of the tabernacle in heaven also had to be purified. We see the ones on earth with Moses, but what about the ones up there? And while the blood of goats and animals work for the ones down here, there's got to be something better for the stuff up there. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Now, what did he do? When he ascended to heaven, he walked into the heavenly tabernacle, and he presented his own blood. And with his own blood, he sprinkled all of the heavenly utensils so that they're purified for use. It's all use of those in heaven, not just those in heaven. We'll get into this next week, but y'all too. Before y'all could access them, they had to be purified. And just to clarify verse 27, because in the King James, people get confused. I'm reading from the New King James. They say, oh, see, you know, every man is appointed a certain time to die. That's not what the scripture says. It says everybody's appointed to die. They didn't say a certain time. Because it's a certain time, that means there's nothing you could do to change the time. And the scripture tells you there are certain things you can do to lengthen your life, and there are certain things you can do to shorten your life. You even know natural things you can do to lengthen your life. And natural things you can do to shorten your life. So he's not saying there's a specific time where somebody has to go. But that if Jesus come back, we're all going to go. I want to read this to you from Leviticus 16, New Living Translation. This is talking about what the high priest did once a year. Today, the Jews call it Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And so the high priest could only go to the holy of holies or the most holy place once a year. The holy place had a lot of utensils that they operated on a regular basis, but the holy place, the holiest of holies, had the Ark of the Covenant. How many of you have seen that movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark? Yeah, it looked kind of like that. There was that in there. And they knew you could only come in one time, a year. And you better be right, because if you're wrong, 
you may have an incident like you saw in that movie. They would even, on the high priest's ankle, tie a rope that had bells on it. So that as long as you heard the bells, you knew he was alive. But when the bells stopped, pull him out, bruh, pull him out. So they could only go once a year because these are sin-stained humans going into the presence of the most holy. And so they would go in for a purpose. And it says here in Leviticus 16, the high priest must take some of the blood of the bull, dip his finger in it, and sprinkle it on the east side of the atonement cover, the mercy seat. He must sprinkle the blood seven times with his finger in front of the atonement cover or the mercy seat. Then Aaron must, Aaron must slaughter the first goat as a sin offering for the people and carry its blood behind the inner curtain. Then he will sprinkle the goat's blood over the atonement cover in front of it, just as he did with the bull's blood. Through this process, he will purify the most holy place, and he'll do the same for the entire tabernacle because of the defiling sin and rebellion of the Israelites. So as Moses and Aaron, the high priests, presented and offered the blood of animals in the tabernacle, Jesus presented and offered his blood in heaven. So Jesus enters the heavenly tabernacle, sprinkles the tabernacle, the throne room of God, with blood, his blood. And then he approaches the mercy seat and puts his blood on the mercy seat. Go to Romans chapter 3, verse 23, and build him something. He put his blood on the mercy seat. As Hebrews 9 says, he's, his sacrifice is so perfect, he doesn't have to keep sacrificing. Once was enough. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned. We all know that. And come short or fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace. Grace is the gift of God. Ephesians 2, the gift of God, not a works, lest any man should boast. It is a gift. You don't work for a gift. You receive a gift. To be justified is to be declared not guilty. You were declared not guilty by the gift of God. Through redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believes in Jesus. There's a lot there, but I want to focus on the word propitiation. Say propitiation. That simply means atoning sacrifice. It means Jesus took your place. He suffered so you didn't have to. He was whipped with a cat of nine tails so you wouldn't have to be. He was mocked and humiliated and shamed so you wouldn't have to be. He was crucified so you wouldn't have to be. He died that death so you wouldn't have to die that death. He descended into hell so you wouldn't have to descend on hell. He took your place. So he took my place. And by his stripes, we are healed. That's what that word propitiation means. He took your place. Say propitiation means Jesus took my place. 
See, this is why you have to side-eye any doctrine that says you got to pay for your sins. Or you have to do all these things to get into heaven. No. You believe on Jesus and that what he did was enough. You don't accept other things that lead you away from the truth of the Scriptures. I remember one time I was sitting outside. And it was like, I think it was a warm fall day. It's like enjoying the weather. And I saw these two people making a beeline to me. And looking at their face, I said, well, they're either enthusiastic Bible students or they're cult members. And he said, that's two extremes. Yeah, but that's what it looked like. When they showed up to me, they were the latter. And they began to tell me about this new belief out there. And, you know, they had, you know, they had, a, they had highlighted scriptures on their phone trying to convince me. And it's like, you know, there's so many different ways I could respond, but then they said something, yeah, you need this too so you can go to heaven. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. So you mean to tell me the blood wasn't enough? Yeah, I frustrated them after that. I said, no, no, no. I didn't want that again again. They left me alone. They did not want to mess with me after that. I said, no, no, no. The blood was enough. Because what is more than the blood? Because if the blood can't handle in your life, nothing else can. If the blood can't wash away your sin, nothing else can. If the blood can't redeem you, nothing else can. There's nothing you've done that is too great for the blood to handle. Because Jesus is your propitiation. Say, so he took my place. But do you know what else? I found something interesting about this word here in Romans 3 for propitiation. The Greek word here is the same Greek word for mercy seat. The Greek word here is the same word for mercy seat that we saw in Hebrews. That when the high priest entered and put the blood on that mercy seat, it atoned for the sins of all the people. So in the same way, when Jesus ascended in John 20 and went to the mercy seat, what he put there atoned for all your sins. And that's why God says, and their sins will I remember no more. That's why I keep stressing, when you get to heaven, there's not a list of your sins. They've been done away with. They don't exist anymore. In retrospect to this, and understanding this in mind, your sin is a non-issue with God. Why? The blood did its job. The blood washed away all your sins. For you to call yourself an old sinner saved by grace is a slap in the face to the blood of Jesus. And it's an oxymoron. You're either an old sinner or you're saved by grace. Pick one. The blood did its job. Say, the blood did its job. Now go to Hebrews chapter 10. Still working on something. He put his blood on the heavenly mercy seat. He became your mercy seat. He became your atoning sacrifice. Hebrews 10, verse 19. And because of all these things we just read, having therefore, brethren, boldness, to enter into the holy of holies by the blood of Jesus. Whoa! Before then, in the old times, only the high priest could go in once a year. 
and he better be straight because if not, they're going to pull that bad boy out. But now, under a new covenant with better promises, we don't just tiptoe in, we walk in boldly like we belong there. It's like kids who grew up in the White House. While people would tiptoe into the over office like, wow, I'm walking into the over office. The kids of the president just walk in there. Why? That's my dad's seat. That's my dad's office. I belong here. You think the kids who grew up in the White House are like, oh, it's the over office. No, this is my daddy's office. They have boldness to walk up in there because of who their father is. Come on, it's only a child that would ask the president of the United States for a cup of water. You walk in and ask for anything else, but hey, can you give me a glass of water? What? what, what? That's boldness. It's an understanding that that's where they belong. And so the writer of Hebrews says, we enter the holy of holies to where the mercy seat is, to where generations past were afraid to be there, we walk in boldly because of the blood. We don't tiptoe. We're not, we are not Scooby and Shaggy and all the misery she tippy toe trying to find a monster. We walk in boldly because we belong there. Having boldness. to enter the holy of holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. Because remember, in the temple, what took place of the tabernacle, there was a veil, a thick veil, that separated the holy of holies from the holy place. But when Jesus died, that veil was torn from top to bottom. So it wasn't the earthquake that tore the veil. It was God saying, it is done. Access is granted. Come on in. And having a high priest over the house of God. What is our response? Let us draw near. Let us get as close as we can get. Why? and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What sprinkled our conscience? You see in Hebrews, the blood. See, some people, even though they've been forgiven of their sins, they still have a sin conscience. Or say another way, they still have sin consciousness. So although they're forgiven, they still act like God remembered their sins. So they won't ask God for stuff because, oh man, I sinned yesterday. They won't ask God for a man, in the fourth grade, I did this. Oh, they won't ask God God might still be mad at me because I tripped last week. Uh-uh. See, your sins have been dealt with. Now you must deal with your sin consciousness. Because if you have a consciousness of sin, and you still consider yourself an old sinner, your boldness will be hindered. Your faith will be hindered, and you will live at a lower level than what the blood purchased for you. And although you have the right to go to the Holy of Holies, you will stay out in the court of the Gentiles, those who have no covenant with God. You'll be staying looking in, it's like, oh, look at that super spiritual person. 
Look at that prayer word. Look at that preacher. Look at that prophet. Man, they have such a great relationship with God. Man, when they talk, God listens. And you kept yourself in the court of people who have no covenant with God. Not because God put you there, but you put yourself there because you keep thinking about how much you sinned. You think about your sin more than God does. Because Jesus dealt with your sin. You just keep listening to the devil who keeps accusing you. That's what he does. He is the accuser of the brethren. He is a slanderer. So make sure you're not a slanderer yourself. But that's another message. Stop listening to demons and devils remind you of your past. Because your past is irrelevant. The blood of Jesus has been applied. And because the blood has been applied, you have boldness to go into the holy of holies. So it says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful. Say, he is faithful. Go ahead and put that in the chat. Say, he is faithful. That promised. Now go to chapter 4, get into where I want to take you today. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing that we have a great high priest that is passing to the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast unto our profession or to our confession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities or our weaknesses and our limitations, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was tempted just like we're tempted. Yet he beat it. And he set us the example that if he could beat it, we can too. So we don't have to give in to sin. You've been saved from your sins. Just because you're tempted, being tempted is not a sin. Giving in to the temptation is a sin. So you will be tempted by stuff. As long as you're on this earth, you will be tempted. But you don't have to give in. You don't have to give in no matter who your parents were, your grandparents were, your great-grandparents, whatever generational curse, blah, 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 blah. You can list all the reasons why people say, you're just going to have to be this way the rest of your life. No. Jesus set the example, a victorious example, a victory, a life of victory over sin, which is available to you. Verse 16, let us therefore come boldly. Say boldly. Unto the throne of grace. Why? Notice the throne of grace. Remember, he's the God of all grace, and he releases all grace that abound towards you, so you have all sufficient in all things. You abound to every good work. Grace has 21 different definitions in the word of God. And whatever you're facing today can be handled with some grace. So let us come to the throne of grace, approaching the God of grace, that we may obtain what? Mercy. And find grace to help in the time of need. We're not going to focus on grace today. We're going to focus on mercy since we've been talking about that mercy seat. Now, mercy, grace, and a few other words in the Bible kind of get thrown together and people just use them. So, you know, yep, I need some mercy today. Well, we actually needed grace, but let's figure out what this word actually means so we can see how it actually applies. The word mercy is defined as kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted, joined with a desire to help them. It is the outward manifestation of compassion. 
it assumes the need on the part of him who receives it and resources adequate to meet the need on the part of him who shows it. Mercy is kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted. Join with the desire to help them. It is the outward manifestation of compassion. It assumes need on part of him who receives it and resources adequate to meet the need on the part of him who shows it. That is what mercy is. Now go with me to Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. It's kindness and goodwill to those who are afflicted. What is afflicted? You're under pressure. Pressure because of a circumstance. Pressure because of a situation. The situation is so bad, you're miserable. It's not like, oh, it's a little bit bad. Now, this is rough. And this kindness and goodwill is just not, oh, man, I feel bad for them. It's kindness and goodwill. Yeah, I have compassion toward them, and I can do something about it. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. Notice what Jeremiah says. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail now. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. So let me talk to you. It may not be everybody in here. There's some of you in here this applies to and some watching online, some of the replay, that you look at your life or sometimes in your life and it was jacked up. You did not know what was going to happen next. That's how bad it was. That it seemed like if one more thing happens, I'm done for, I'm dead, I'm gone. But you never got to that place. It was a lot. And it seemed like it was going to consume you. But it didn't. It seemed like this last wave is going to take you out to sea and there's no hope of getting back. But it didn't. What was that? The mercy of God. Because that didn't imply you had any faith for anything. That didn't imply you would do anything right. You weren't consumed because there was mercy. And see, when Jeremiah's writing, this is called a lamentation. It's not like happy-go-lucky. Joy, 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 down in my heart. A lamentation is sorrowful. He's writing this after Jerusalem has been ransacked. It's burning. It could still be on fire when he's writing this. There are ashes and debt all around him. The destruction was brought on by the sin of the people. They had rejected God, and the enemy was able to come in and destroy things. And so now the prophet is left here. And he writes, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. He's like, it should have been worse. None of us should be left. Nobody should still be alive. No building should be standing. But the only reason something is left is not because any of us did anything right. It's because his mercies are still here. And his compassions fail not. His mercies are new every morning. 
great is his faithfulness. See, Jeremiah is witnessing everything that happened because the people would not listen to him at all. They threw his tail in jail. They threw him in a pit. They did everything but listen to the man of God. And now a lot of them aren't even alive anymore or they're taken away in slavery to Babylon. And now he's standing here saying it should have been worse. But the mercy of God. But then he says, great is his faithfulness. Why would he say that? Because God has also told him, yeah, this is going to happen. But that's not the end of the story. After 70 years, I'm going to bring them back. Because I have good plans for them. Plans of good, not of evil. Plans to give them an end they were hoped for. Yes, it looks bad because of what they did, but it's not going to end in this place. Because I'm merciful and I'm faithful. You see, he's not just faithful to the people who just acted a mess the last couple hundred years. See, when God saw them, he saw Abraham. And he made a promise to Abraham. See, some of you are still alive not because you did what was right, but there was a great-great-grandma who told Jesus yes. And all the drugs you've taken, all the things you've done, all the people you've been with, all the silliness you have done, you should have been out a long time ago, but yet you still you still kicking, you still moving. The doctor don't even know why you're still alive. It's his mercy that you were not consumed because he is still faithful to the prayers of your great-grandmother. Some of you are in situations right now, you don't even know how you got in them. But it looks bad. It looks horrible. It looks like it's over for you. But I'm telling you by the Spirit of God, his mercy is still present. His mercy is still working. And you will not be consumed. Great is his faithfulness. Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all thy iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns or surrounds you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Philippians chapter 2, verse 27. Notice what Paul's writing to the church of Philippi, talking about an associate of his, a partner in ministry. It's for indeed he was sick, nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So what does this mean? God healed him. So healing is a mercy. Healing is a mercy. And that is great news during a pandemic. With variant upon variant upon variant that it sounds like a Greek sorority of fraternity. Healing is a mercy. Say healing is a mercy. So that means you could find yourself watching this message with the diagnosis the doctors don't know what to do about. And it could be you're there because of you. 
You could be there because of the attack of the enemy. But regardless of why you're there, at home, in the hospital, in the situation, the circumstance, there's mercy for you. Say, there's mercy for me. See, some of you had a hard time receiving what I said last week about the incoming outpouring of heaven because you were thinking about your sins. You were thinking about all the stuff you've done. But I'm here to let you know incoming is still heading your way because there's mercy. Go to Mark chapter 10, verse 47. Say, there's mercy for me. Oh, glory to Jesus. Mark 10, 47, familiar passage to a number of us. It's a story of blind Bartimaeus sitting on the side of the highway begging. Who knows how long he's been there? By some account studying his name, he wasn't always this way. Somehow he fell into the situation. His name even means son of privilege. So somehow he fell out of privilege. And now he's in a situation begging, has no one to take care of him. This has become his profession, relying on handouts. This is the situation and circumstance he's found himself in. But when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth passing by, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, you son of David. What is that, a messianic title? So I know who you are. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. You're the one who's been sent because we have a covenant. Notice what he requests. Have mercy on me. Have compassion on me. Have kindness and goodwill toward me. Help me. And many people around him said, shut up. But he got louder and louder saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Notice it cry was, Why I deserve this? It was, Have mercy. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And all the people said, Hey, be of good comfort. Get up, he's calling you. People are so fickle, so don't, don't rely on them. They'll hate on you one moment and say, I always knew you were going to make it, so stop. Don't put your confidence in other people. Put your confidence in what Jesus told you. And he, blind Bartimaeus, casting away his garment. Why is that important? The garment represented his class. His class was beggar. And as long as he had that garment, he was an official beggar. He had requested mercy. His request for mercy stopped Jesus in his tracks. And Jesus said, come here. He's like, I got the mercy now. So I need to take off what I've been identified as. I need to take off my limitation. I need to take off what people said about me. I need to take off how people have limited me. I need to take off how people have classified me. And let me go to the one who is about to show me mercy. See, you need to take off the labels people have given you. 
Because if you keep the labels, you will limit how much mercy you can receive. Because those labels are based on sin consciousness. And you think, I only can go this far because of what I've done and my background and who I know and my parents and my grandparents and my gender and my color and my race. He's like, "Uh -uh." they've labeled you to limit you. But if you want to receive what God has for you in this season, you have to throw off limiting labels. And Jesus said unto him, what do you want? Because he could have wanted anything. And God is asking you, what do you want? Because Jesus was known for being generous to the poor. He could have just wanted a good offering, a good donation, and Jesus would have gave it to him. But he said, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. The mercy of God transformed a life like that. See, when we study out the word mercy, even in the Old Testament, you can see it is God's desire and determination to bless you. God wants to bless you more than you want to be blessed. God wants to take care of you more than you want him to take care of you. It is his heart and his mercy towards you that drives him to want to do that for you. It's not based on your performance. It's not based on what you've gotten right. It's based on who he is. He loves you. Deal with it. You will never be more loved or less loved by God. He loves you. Deal with it. There's nothing you can do to make him love you any less. There's nothing you can do to make him love you anymore. He loves you. And because his great love, Ephesians, that he loved you with, he is abundant or rich or overflowing in mercy. It's Ephesians chapter 2. And so this is specifically for people you find yourself in a hopeless almost situation right now where it seems like you're about to be consumed. And one of the reasons is your fault. It is the harvest of things you've sown, the harvest of sins and bad decisions and mistakes you made. And now you're just in a tough spot you don't know how to get out of. And the tough spot is a manifestation of judgment. It's accurate. It's where you should be because of the decisions you made. But James 2.13 says, mercy triumphs over judgment. So some of you are in situations right now that you don't know the way out of. And the instructions of the Spirit of God is to call out for mercy. Ask for mercy. Don't come in saying all the bad things I've done. Oh, you won't hear me? No. Call out for mercy. Stand to your feet. Call out for mercy. Call out for mercy. 
some of you really need and you're really quiet right now. You need to call out for mercy. Whether you're in this room, you're at home, you're in your car, you're somewhere else, you need to call out for mercy. The situation's so bad. It's so overwhelming. You feel like you're gonna be consumed. You don't know what's gonna happen next. But I'm here by the Holy Ghost to tell you there's mercy for you today. And some of you are in desperate need of it. I don't need to know the circumstances, situation, or the pressure. I just need you to know there's mercy for you today. And if you're in this room and you said, I just need mercy to get me out of this situation, come to the altar. If that's you, come to the altar now. You said, I need mercy. Come to the altar now. Don't think who else is going to come now. If you need mercy, come to the altar now. Come to the altar now. Mercy is here for you. There's mercy for you. There's mercy. There's mercy. There's mercy. you guys to play great is thy faithfulness there's mercy for you and those for you who are online just put in the chat say I want mercy God and some of you are in this building online it's just not me but there's a family member you set your faith for them right now and mercy will follow on them wherever they are whether the hospital room or a prison cell it doesn't matter you stretch out and ask for mercy on their behalf and mercy will fall on them. Mercy is going to fall on all of you here at the altar and online. And I'm on the instructions of the Holy Ghost to pray for you. Hallelujah. Stretch your hands toward them, congregation. Great is his faithfulness towards us. Great is his faithfulness toward us.
receive mercy. You've received mercy. That family member has received mercy. That loved one has received mercy. It is by his mercies you won't be consumed. And it's because of his faithfulness you will be restored. So expect the incoming outpouring of heaven because he's merciful and because he's faithful. Watch what God does. Even in the next three weeks, watch what God does. Watch what God does because he's merciful and he's faithful. your hands to receive from him. Mercy is falling. Healing power is flowing. Wisdom is being given. Hallelujah. 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 We thank you for mercy. We thank you for the mercy.